Hey, this is Ross Bain with Rule Blind Bubble Radio. This is RPPR episode 152, Picaresque Perfect. Uh, we're going to be talking about the picaresque genre or the picaresque novel format, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and with me for this episode is Bill. Hey, everybody. Yes. Uh, picaresque novels have a long and storied tradition. Uh, hey. Uh, comes from the Spanish word for rogue, picaro. And uh, so you might know them from such novels as The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Or Jack Vance's Dying Earth. Yes. Uh, so, but before we get into that, we have a bit of news. Uh, this episode is sponsored by BPB Games. Uh, they, uh, this is actually a friend of RPPR, Kyle Cardi, the co-host of Maple Syrup Blood Money, uh, the podcast. He's been on... Uh, he's run some games for uh, our Patreon on RPPR. Uh, he's just a great guy. He's, he did the layout uh, for Red Markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right now, his, uh, he is uh, kickstarting a game called Savage Tokusatsu, uh, which is a genre of Japanese. Well, let me just read the uh, press release here. I should probably do that. Go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. Let's see here. The new supplement. This is for Savage Worlds. It's actually not a standalone game. It's a setting uh, book for Savage Worlds. So this new supplement captures the fun and style of tokusatsu in all of its forms. I'm really trying to say that right. Uh, so with two distinct sets of rules for two radically different styles of play, the idea of playing a transforming hero who uh, who hops into a giant robot to battle a massive villain of the week or participating in a protracted battle against a deadly and implacable kaiju armed with only tanks, your wits, and whatever your research team can cobble together are both possible. Uh, designed from the ground up for the Savage World system, Savage Tokusatsu maintains the feel and balance of the critically acclaimed role-playing game while still bringing the idea dynamic action and intense social conflict one expects from tokusatsu stories uh this product contains several new edges hindrances and new rules to highlight the social aspects of role-playing and the teamwork dynamics of combat with renewed focus uh we let's say the initial funding goal is three thousand dollars several stretch goals including uh gm screen accessories a custom deck of cards uh and more and then um, oh, Aaron is going to be writing for this. If oh. it makes it, our own Aaron is going to be get his first publishing credit in RPGs. Uh, he is going to be, I'm not sure what he's writing. I think he's going to be writing new characters for it. Um, definitely in his wheelhouse. It is. So uh, if you want to encourage uh, Aaron's, uh, you know, jump into the RPG, the lucrative world of RPG. Normally we right? try not to encourage Aaron, but in this <laughs> circumstance you should. Well, I always try to encourage Aaron. He's, uh, he is he is one of our most beloved uh, cast members. He's always been highly entertaining, and he's just and a the great shark person. punching poster is hanging right behind <laughs> you. Uh, I'll have you know, in our latest Delta Green game, Aaron was quite sensible, and it was uh, uh, a different player who was eaten by aquatic wildlife. It it was Sean. So, oh well, <laughs> and it was that not is a shark. also unpredictable or unpredictable. <laughs> uh, so I guess that'll be the anecdote. Uh, uh, spoiler, <laughs> spoilers. So, um, anyways, that's uh, so that's something. It should be launched by the time this episode goes up. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. Uh, so please check it out. We're also going to have an interview between Kyle and Aaron uh, on RPPR. Uh, in a week, week and a half uh, from this posting to give you more of an idea of what this is like. So if you like Savage Worlds, if you like the genre tokusatsu, uh, so uh, you should check it out. So anyways, um, in other RPPR news, uh, we have a new uh, show for our Patreon, Don't Cross the Stream. 
Uh, the idea for this one is we were taking we were looking at something on a streaming site. Right now we've been going through Netflix, but that might change in the future. Uh, and not only reviewing it, but also uh, sort of gamifying it. So our first episode, we watched a Steven Seagal movie, uh, his Force of Execution, which he did in 2015 or 2016. Uh, yeah, one of his new movies. And uh, his choice, we, period. <laughs> yeah. So in this uh, episode, uh, we talked about how we would gamify Steven Seagal. Obviously, uh, he is an unstoppable force of nature. So we had Steven, we, we came up with random Steven Seagal charts of like where you would encounter him, what he would be doing. Uh, and the final one, as always, he breaks your neck. Uh, there's actually a table for what he does to you. He it's could he break your neck. Fifty neck breaking by volume. Um, no, there, it's it's it, that's on the table. I don't remember the percentages. I don't know what the probability is, but he could break your entire body, your you know your ribs, or he could break your heart. You know. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, so that we actually for Don't Cross the one of the things we're gonna be doing is every month not only having an episode, we're also gonna have a PDF. We're gonna get one of the RPPR cast members to write a short PDF to help that. So Thad actually wrote these tables out. God uh, bless him. Yes. Uh, and then uh, for our second and third uh, second episode, we watched a Chinese movie called Chronicles of the Ghostly Tribe, which is actually four novels that they adapted into one movie. Uh, sure. And yeah, and it it certainly feels like it. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. Normally, I'm a fan of of Chinese cinema, what I've seen so far. But like yeah. four novels to one movie, I mean, that's that's about right. I mean, mm. I would expect a six hour movie. <laughs> no, it was only like two hours. It was, mm. Yeah, no, it's like they get through a novel in the first thirty minutes because you're like you're watching it and you're like, wait, this seems like the end scene of a movie, you know, with the. <laughs> the big bad guys invading and the heroic sacrifice of the secondary character and like, what's going on? And then they start over again. It's another movie uh, or another, it's another novel. Like it's crazy. Anyways, um, Bridget actually wrote a game for that about uh, being the secondary character who falls around the main protagonist in a summer blockbuster movie and trying not to die. Uh, you don't want to be the person that they get, you know, like, oh, this character's dead now. Now I feel anger and I'm motivated to get revenge. You don't want to be that guy or girl. So, you know, you got to But it's survive. a game about being that guy. Yeah, well, it's about surviving. It's about working the margins, you know, like getting enough drama to, to advance the plot, but not dying. So, uh, and then uh, most recent episode, we did Gaunt's O, which is uh, a CGI anime based on the manga series Gaunt's. And it adapted the twenty. Uh, the it's a thirty-seven volume manga. When it took thirteen years to tell that story, and uh, then they chose the a story arc starting in the twenty-first volume. Sure, I mean, like you do, <laughs> like you do. It's yeah. a, it's a, it's a way to introduce people, just ease them into the series. Yeah. yeah. There's there's nothing to catch up to there. I mean, you should be able to just roll right into it. Nothing's going to be lost on you. Yep, yep. Uh, and so I think Bridget is actually writing rules for uh, having using a mo- melodrama to fuel your combat powers uh, is sort of the system uh, uh, mechanics. Um, so you, you can listen to the episode to get more ideas. So uh, well, I'll post one of these episodes as a preview uh, to give you guys uh, all out there uh, an idea of what it's like. Uh, but, uh, be sure to check out our Patreon if you, if you're already subscribed and you haven't listened to it, they're really fun. I've been having a lot of fun doing them. Um, and if you're not a subscriber, you should be a subscriber because we get all the stuff on our, our Patreon. So many podcasts, um, and art and art and PDFs. I mean, we have digital content. 
Ross will send you a lock of his hair. Um, no, I will. I can't upload that. We don't have 3D printers yet. We don't have any of that yet. But if you 3D printed it, it wouldn't be yours. <sighs> wow. Uh, I've missed you, Bill. How you been doing? <laughs> Pretty good. How are you? Um, so we should probably get to the, uh, the, the topic of the episode. So uh, the Pigress genre. Um, and uh, this is a uh, my favorite. One of my favorite novels growing up was actually Huckleberry Finn, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. And that is described as sort of the, the perfect American picaresque novel. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll link to the Wikipedia article so you can kind of summarize. So I, I'm not going to go over and the entire article in this podcast. Maybe also Project Gutenberg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I think, yeah. Um, but the, the, the core of a picaresque novel is that uh, the major idea is it, one: it follows a person usually of low birth or low class uh, as they go on a, a what could be described as a series of misadventures. Mm-hmm. Um, they, it is often satiric in, in, in nature as they sort of interact with various strata of society. Uh, there's also an element of criminality, but the character is a sympathetic outsider. So they're not like hardcore assassins or killers per se. Right. Uh, I mean, sometimes they use violence, sometimes they don't. It's just, they're not, um, you know, grimdark or edgelordy is, is what I'm saying. Um, they are, let's see here. There's no character development though. Uh, however they start is however they end up, you know, there's, there's very, or very minimal character development. um, and historically speaking, they've been mostly realistic, mm-hmm. uh, but there are fantastic there are examples in fantasy and science fiction, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got started because I read a novel on my recent trip to Taiwan and the Philippines, uh, and that was Skaven Slayer, the second novel in the Felix and Gortrek uh, series of Warhammer fantasy novels. Uh, I, my friends recommended me actually start with that one and not Troll Slayer, the first novel, because... Ugh, origin stories who needs that <laughs> and it's not quite a picaresque novel because there is a plot you know mm-hmm. there's uh an invasion of skaven you know evil rat people and felix and gortrek stop it but so kind of it bo- is what it says on the tin it, it, there is a lot of skaven slay there is a lot of skaven well slay. thank god i mean that's what <laughs> i came for but they kind of they kind of do it by accident uh they don't purposely seek out the skaven they aren't assigned a mission by god they, uh, okay okay See, I was afraid you meant that they slew the Skaven like completely by accident. <laughs> like, oh, wait, no, it turns out these rat men are to the scale of rats and I stepped on them. No, no, no. Um, the way it works is Felix is a human who is a, he was born of the merchant class, not the high class, but he's, you know, killed someone in a duel uh, while he was st- in college. And then, like, uh, you do. like you do. And so he's kind of a wandering vagabond at this point. Um, and then he's he in a drunken in a drunken night he swore an oath to uh, Gortrek, who is a dwarven slayer, who is some dwarf who has shamed himself so badly they go punk, uh, you know, mohawk tattoos, mm-hmm. uh, shirtless, and he um, swears to die in battle, like you know, uh, a glorious death in battle. So like, you know, it's not just dying in battle of like getting shot in the leg and having sepsis and dying and, you know, infecting leg wound. No, no, no. It's getting like eaten by a dragon, you know, something like that. Um, so they just, they kind of, but they need money to eat. So they, they, uh, start out the novel sewer watchmen. Oh, they're scaven. We got to slay them. And then, you know, events happen and riot. Things of a nature. Things of a nature happen. 
Um, but they, they kind of, after the first sort of arc in the novel, they're like, yeah, there's probably going to be really bad things happening in this city. There's probably going to be more scaving. And the dwarf is like, yeah, we should stay because I want to die in battle. And he's like, oh, well, all right. <laughs> Let's go be bouncers at a bar. <laughs> and, and then uh, they play Vermintide. Yeah, well, that's basically, yeah, it's Vermintide. Let's play uh, the novel. Um, so... I liked it. I thought it was quite entertaining. Um, and I got to me thinking about like how picaresque novels, that, that kind of the, these, not the entire thing, but maybe not a purist approach, but these elements can be brought into role-playing games and make the game better. So, mm-hmm. uh, but you have some experience with that cause you actually ran a picaresque role-playing game. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, I did. Only, only the one shot of it. Uh, but tales from the dying earth, uh, being a, you know, role-playing game that is trying to ape the genre of, you know, Jack Vance's dying earth stories is necessarily picaresque. Um, it picks up, I think a lot of the elements for it really well, uh, in that, you know, one, I think the random character generation helped out a lot with that, um, sort of framed everybody as sort of being in that, you know, sort of mostly sympathetic, outsider but definitely the outsider part yeah i mean Um, sympathetic but that means they have flaws that you like you know like oh i can relate to that relatable Mm -hmm. flaws i think is the key yeah yeah um i think actually though like the dying earth is a great jumping off point for this especially as it intersects with role-playing games because Mm -hmm. i mean i think you know as we've sort of dug into accounts um across a wider basis and you, you like look at the history of the game, you know, people tend to associate dungeons and dragons with Lord of the Rings. But if you look at like what Gygax and to a lesser extent, you know, David Arnison are, are on record as saying like Vance had a much bigger influence. And mm-hmm. like, if you sit down and, and read the book um, or books, actually uh, there, are <laughs> well, technically there are three dying earth books. Um, but the first two are the really picaresque ones. Um, you sort of see the, the roots of the hobby, sort of the roots of the stories we tell, you know, very basically in, in role-playing games a lot more clearly. They, they are absolutely what you described. I mean, it's a character of low social standing that like, I think in both circumstances sort of starts off by being brought to an even lower social standing, mm-hmm. spends the entire novel, like, trying to work his way back up to where he was, or maybe hopefully a little better. And then, you know, gets sort of magically ahead of where he was at the very end, just to have it all taken away again and like end up exactly back where he started. In fact, I think in the second one, he ends up in the exact same city. He started (laughs) walking into the exact same market square. Interesting. Um, does uh, now I haven't read these novels, but is there sort of a uh, would uh, be a preoccupation with basic survival, especially like getting enough money or getting enough food? Yes. Uh, so um, very definitely so. Yeah, uh, that's definitely uh, uh, it's certainly in Huck Finn. That's mm-hmm. a major preoccupation of the characters mm-hmm. uh, and of the novel is finding food. You know whether it's actually fishing, hunting, gathering. Right. trading, stealing, whatever. Um, another picaresque, uh, uh, story now I just thought of is actually would be the anime series, Samurai Champloo. Um, because it's about two samurai and, uh, this former waitress and their major preoccupation is actually uh, cowboy bebop. Cause again, I was just about to yeah. go there. 
because it's it's about food. Like yeah. they're hungry. They need to go out that and do first that. Episode. Yeah. These bell um, peppers would be a lot better with some beef. Exactly. So you have to. Uh, so that basic and, and that's certainly a lot of role playing games, especially D anD D at the low levels. Yeah. Uh, and then you have games that deliberately emulate that, like Torchbearer. Torchbearer. Uh, yeah. And then, of course, you have even in modern games. Like I think that's one of the strengths of red markets is that mm-hmm. you have rations and you yeah. have to pay for your food. Uh, you know, and so there's this basic occupation with just just getting by day to day. And that's certainly something that motivates the characters because, like, they're often. Pre- put in position where they can't they cannot or will not do just the normal day job thing you know right. their pride dignity or that the fact that they're kind of they have these relatable flaws you know mm-hmm. they're kind of fuck-ups you know uh whether they're anti-social samurai uh dwarves on a suicidal quest to to, to die in battle uh or disgraced you know uh poets or if they're running away from their monstrous father and an escaped slave uh or- yeah just too lazy to try to make an honest living. Exactly. And so they take up more effort. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of games that I think have improved by that. So we, I think a lot of role-playing games now kind of hand wave that stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's I, I certainly, not, I think, the first point. If you're playing a role-playing game, uh, either as a GM, as a player, is kind of go back and re-examine that, like, how do you not die every day? Food, just Maslow hierarchy, right. you know, food, shelter, you know, um, that kind of stuff. Water, just, you know, not dying. Like, Yeah, I mean, uh, basically you're traveling around, you roll into a town, you're looking to, you know, find somewhere to sleep and also some food to eat. And you walk up to somebody and you're like, they're like, what can you do? And yeah. like, I got this sword and I can swing it real good. <laughs> um, and the great thing about role playing games is you can add new problems. If food and water aren't enough, because I, you'd be like, Oh, well I'm a cleric. I'm a, I have create food and water. So fuck that. Um, you can be like, well, I'll give you magical problems. You know, like I'll give you a minor curse. That kind of sucks. And you need to pay the priest to get rid of the curse. Um, I think dark sun also had a lot of that. Like you need a lot of water. Yeah. Wow. Or heck, just, you know, press into the milieu. If you're playing a run-of-the-mill fantasy game, it's feudalism. Yeah. Taxes are due. Oh, tax. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. It's just, yeah, yeah, some debt. like well, And uh, generalizing, like, debts in general. Because, yeah. like, having some guy come after you or someone's coming after you because you, you, you owe someone money. Like, that's, that's a great motivator. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, you know, the, one of the other reasons why I like the Picaresh genre is because it doesn't have this it, this emphasis on plot right um and there's not obviously there's nothing wrong with plot but i think you know the most memorable moments in role playing games aren't usually like i killed i saved the world or whatever it's that time you know someone jumped off a ship because to fight a shark because they didn't they their character was so defined in this way uh so it's character building moments and Picaresque novels are about defining your character right uh and Even how if it doesn't change yeah well it doesn't change it's defi- that's why you define it like yeah. you have to you're you're this you're you're sympathetic outsider but you're not like a weak-willed person right if you're a weak-willed you would just be a you know a a, a day-to-day worker yeah. you know uh something about you uproots you from society i mean i wouldn't be on an rppr episode without the <laughs> chance to you know rip off robin laws a little bit mm-hmm. so like the picaresque hero is is really a very boiled down version of the iconic hero they have some sort of ethos mm-hmm. that like that actually is more often than not what causes them to be a picaresque hero like their their strength of being who they are is what 
turns them into an outsider. Mm-hmm. And to, to your earlier point, like is what causes them to have to like take this, you know, outsider, this alternative way of life. So, you know, in role-playing, maybe if you're in, you know, starting up this sort of a campaign as a, as a person building a player character, you know, maybe look at like, I don't know, even if it comes down to it, random motivation tables and stuff and mm-hmm. just, you know, find something to say, to ask, ask yourself the red markets question of like, why are you doing this stupidly dangerous thing? Mm-hmm. Like don't, don't negate the premise, try to get out in front of it and like embrace the premise before it's even there. Um, yeah, no, that's, uh, definitely a good point. Um, and the thing is, uh, also about character is that it's a lot of people think that means you have to act the same way in every scene, you know, like if I'm, I'm the tough guy who doesn't say no. Well, yeah, but what if your friend talks you into, a, uh, you know, a pacifist cult and you're like, well, you just want to fit in for once. And you're like, uh, so you're still the same person, but like you're following a fad or like, uh, you are hiding out from someone. So you have to act, pretend to be someone else. And mm-hmm. so you have to act differently. Uh, characters can be picaresque games can make your character far more three dimensional because you have more, ways to show every faucet of your personality. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we all know we're friends and we know kind of how they'll act, but like, that doesn't mean they can't surprise you. You know, someday they, they make a light major life changing, uh, uh, decision. You're like, what the fuck out? And then you think, about it, it's like, Oh, okay. That now that makes sense, you know, later on. But, um, the pick game is about showing your character in a lot of different circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I think it just you, you, and you can kind of, don't have to define it all at once. You can kind of discover it during gameplay, you know? Right. And like one of the other things, like if you're doing a picaresque game where you've got a lot of, of chance to show off who your character is, think about it too, that the, you know, there are three or four or maybe even more other people sitting around there and like not everyone can be front and center every scene. Mm-hmm. So, you know, kind of pick and choose. And if it's something that maybe doesn't really apply to what, makes your character an outsider, mm-hmm. you know, uh, maybe it seems a little basic, but I think it's, it's a point really well taken in this sort of circumstance to like really look around the table and let other people kind of take the lead scene to scene and figure out which ones really apply to you and lean in on. Yeah, those. no, def- definitely. It's an ensemble thing. Yeah. Like, uh, it's, I mean, the, the, the Picaresque novel is usually first person, mm-hmm. uh, focusing on one or two people, but like, that's the novel, like role playing games are different. Right. Um, and two is sort of a corollary to that is also focus on the relationships between each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean the, the, the obvious greatest example, uh, would be Huckleberry Finn mm-hmm. because him, uh, because, uh, the relationship between him and Jim becomes very, is the core of the novel and it's the, heart of the novel and Huck defines himself as this I'm standing in defiance to society and he decides that you know like society is obviously telling him to be hella racist and uh, deny Jim his humanity mm-hmm. and then Huck says well I, I'm, I, I can't do that I have to be an outsider I have to be a rebel and I'm going to say Jim is a human and deserves to be freed and like that's sort of like the the whole point of the novel and that's um, and not to say that you have to reach for that amazing moment that that's sort of like uh, the 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 reason why you know Hemingway called it the greatest novel mm-hmm. American novel of all time. Um, but you can you can sort of build these relationships over time because like going back to Cowboy Bebop and Samurai Champloo, yeah, the characters stay the same, but their relationships to each other uh, certainly changes over the series. 
um, you know, Faye versus, well, <laughs> literally everyone else in uh, uh, Cowboy Bebop certainly changes over time. But, yeah. um, and certainly uh, uh, the same thing happens in Samurai Champloo, you know, mm-hmm. to a degree. Um, so, yeah, like give other people screen time, but also figure out how you're relating to each other and be, you know, that's okay for that to change. So I was, I was just thinking about what you were saying and, and an odd thought came to me. So I recently re-listened to the audiobook of Neverwhere, which is mm-hmm. not a picaresque novel, but <laughs> just sort of as, as an exercise in reframing, uh, especially thinking about the picaresque and thinking about the interaction of characters. If you imagined Neverwhere, but from the perspective of Mr. Scroop and Vandemar, or if you imagine, you know, a story where they were the main characters, it almost yeah, yeah. certainly would become a picaresque. And I think a great example of like the interaction between mm-hmm. two main characters in a picaresque in that they are very much sort of pressing into their, <laughs> you know, almost like reservoir dog style, you know, yeah, the broad, criminality. Yeah, yeah. But also the broad characterization mm-hmm. and, and how well it, they play off of each other. Yeah. Um, so maybe, yeah, like, uh, you know, Powered by the Apocalypse games have this, that mechanic where like yep. you, you make predictions about your relationships and you mm-hmm. gain experience from that. So kind of think about that for every session is like, how, how am I relating to this other player character now mm-hmm. and how's that going to change? So, um, certainly that was sort of a point of the Felix and Gortrek novel is like Felix has sworn this oath to follow this dwarf around. But he's beginning to realize this dwarf is literally hundreds of years old and I don't know anything about him. And he's kind of this weird, like, he's not human. He thinks differently. In, um, but, like, and he doesn't, like, he's not a very emotive person except, you know, murderous rage. So it's like, does he even give a shit about me? And they're right. like, oh, okay. And so, like, part of that novel is, the, is Felix still trying to figure out Gortrek. And Gortrek, yeah, obviously not giving a shit, you know. Or does he? Like, oh, so there's the tension, you know. Is is their their sort of uh, and feels like what the fuck am I doing with my life? I could just go back to my family, like, but no, I have my pride. Oh, and there's this beautiful woman at the bar. I'll go talk to her, you know. And uh, onward, the, you know. Um, I think another thing is uh, that defines the Picard's novel is not just the survival too, but also temptation, mm-hmm. uh, because these are sympathetic outsiders. They're not, you know, super decadent, but they're 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 if vice presents itself. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, They'll at least hang around for the sales pitch. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, that may be a newer novel thing, you know. Um, mm. It could be some sort of new experience or it could be, yeah, yeah, traditional things, you know, wine, women, and song. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly, if you're so if you're doing that pick-or-ass game, um, feel free to, ha- like, that should emphasize a sort of sidetrack and, like, oh, let's just go over here where I hear singing. Let's let's find out what that's all about, you know? And it's sirens, or maybe it's just uh, druids having a party or whatever else. Uh, <laughs> oh, shit, wrong kind of druids. Put the sickles away. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, certainly if you're a GM, you would not want to... Like, that's the obvious thing, you know, right. like, oh, let's go party. Oh, it turned out to be a bad party. But like, uh, that's, that's Maybe the, not every time. Yeah. Certain, certain, like, don't not even the first two times make right. the first like you need to like, like maybe the first time should just be great. Second time should be like, let the players have a chance of screwing it up. But like, you know, maybe there's someone yells at them or someone gets drunk and tries to pick a fight with them, you know, you know, vary it up. But only the third time. Once they've let their guard down, <laughs> you have the blood druid show up. Um, I don't know. I, I, or what are your thoughts? <laughs> I don't know. Um, 
so, sort of spinning the these last two kind of bullet points together. Yeah, uh, yeah. While I was cheating and reading the Wikipedia article and picaresque <laughs> novels as well, um, one of the things that like I happen to latch on to is that they were citing uh, Scott Lynch's Gentleman Bastard series as, yeah, yeah. as an example, and I happened to have read the first two of those. So I was <laughs> like, oh, I can say things about those. Oh, um, but being as that is like kind of a picaresque series, yes, like there there is plot, but there's also like very long digressions. Uh, I would, I mm-hmm. would say that easily mm, half or 60%, the more I think about it of the second novel is like digression from what the main plot is supposed to be. Yeah. Um, but like sort of the combination of temptation and the character interaction, it focuses around two con men. Um, and like, Strangely, it's not first person. It is third person and it's not particularly omniscient third person um, such that you, I I can think of one instance, at least in each book, where you're sort of like, oh, has, has this partnership dissolved? And mm-hmm. did someone not tell someone the partnership was dissolving <laughs> ahead of time? Like um, the, the opportunity for the well-played double cross. Like while, while it's not something I would normally like in your normally more plot driven role-playing game kind of would, you know, be, uh, be wrecking somebody's birthday cake a -hmm. bit more. I think the picaresque is sort of a better place for those sort of plot elements because like one, you're not having as much character development. It is. Yeah. Just character defined definition. There you go. (laughs) So, you know, if someone screws you over, they really haven't like upset some larger through line. Mm-hmm. Really, it's given you more the opportunity so long as you're not dead or, you know, <laughs> even, hey, how do I deal with having been resurrected? Although, as an aside, I don't think I would really use standard resurrections in a picaresque game. I think it would be more of a just reincarnation is available. Oh, yeah. Oh. By the way, now you're a bear. <laughs> well, I mean, I could see resurrection working in picaresque, but yeah, it can't be just like you're fine. And you're right. It obviously is very transformative. Yes. Um, and again, one thing is I, I should mention, you know, the picaresque novel is defined by these elements, you know, mm-hmm. traditionally, but obviously pick if the, 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 the heart, the, the spirit, the soul of picaresque novel is to not be pure and like, you yeah. know, sticking to, tr- to tradition. So feel free to like sort of bend the rules as you want. I mean, for one thing, it's a role-playing game, not a novel. So like you can't, it's not picaresque by strict definition anyway. Right. Um, so feel free to bend these things. So like, yeah, if you're doing that resurrection or something like that, yeah, I would fuck with the player a lot. Oh yeah. (laughs) Uh, All that to say, I mean, I think it's a great opportunity, you know, it's, it's generally sort of, you know, best practice and just being a nice guy to not mess with your fellow PCs Mm -hmm. in most role-playing games that much. But I think this sort of a game is a great opportunity to exercise those demons a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and certainly digressions, um, are a great thing to add in. Like one of my favorite parts in the Felix, uh, I started reading Beast Slayer, the next novel or Demon Slayer. Sorry. Um, and uh, all I know is the title involves killing. There's, there's like 15 novels and the first 14 of them are like something slayer. Like it's, it's a pretty, it's an interesting naming scheme. I mean, you know what you're getting into. Uh, this novel is fighting demons apparently. All right. Um, so like, but some of my favorite parts in it are like the, the, the parts where Felix wakes up from a hangover and like the next day on a cart, you know, like nursing his hangover, going through the scenic idyllic countryside, like when, what the fuck am I doing with my life again? Right. Uh, like, yeah. like, I think 
there's actually sort of a buried tip in there. Mm. Like for a GM of the picaresque game, like there's going to be a certain amount of fun Mm -hmm. in, you know, playing through those party scenes that you were alluding to earlier. But I think if, if players were making a habit out of it, I would just do a hard cut. Like, Oh, you're walking up to the party and you wake up the next morning (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, that that also happens in one of the novels where he's like, yeah, they got to the festival, the feast, and everyone was cheering, and then he blacked out. And when he woke up, he's like, "What the fuck did I do?" He's like, "Oh, you climbed the flagpole and you did this," and like, "Oh God, really? No, you 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 well, you did climb With the, the fl- mayor's nephew." Yeah, yeah, exactly. You did climb the flagpole, but you didn't wear a blindfold, like you know, <laughs> um, because the other guy said it would uh, give you too much of an advantage because you wouldn't be able to see the ground. Uh, so anyway, uh, so again, th- th- there's a certain charm to that. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, one part we haven't really mentioned though, uh, is the satire. Uh, mm-hmm. and I think that's, uh, red markets is actually my best example for that because red markets is very satiric, um, because the, the sort of modus operandi for a lot of red markets is to take modern day trends and then exaggerate the fuck out of them for the apocalypse. Like, the obvious biggest thing is taking libertarians or, or maybe just be like, I like Bitcoin or whatever. And then be like turning them into fucking death cultists. Um, you know, the Randians, uh, Did you have us like yeah. grab a score of Juiceros. <laughs> I want to, I haven't been that. Remember that game ended before I was able to do the Juicero score, um, uh, but that was going to be the, darn. Yeah. No, that's coming. Next game I run. There's I'm gonna busy. be <laughs> You want it you want you want the Juicero. Busy. <laughs> but that's the thing, yeah, exactly. Like you need that satiric element. Um a lot of the, the factions in red markets are exaggerated uh from modern day things. And so like you're poking fun at like the their the the insistency of a lot of, you know, um factions or groups or organizations, whatever you want to call it to have, you know, purity tests, ideological purity tests and Mm -hmm. extremism and sort of, you know, um, circular firing squads. And, uh, I'm not picking, I mean, you see it a lot of different things, uh, not, not, uh, not sticking to one side of the political spectrum Uh or, um, philosophical spectrum of anything. Um, so yeah, I mean, um, well, how else can you do? So aside from exaggerating that, what else would you do for satire? Well, so factions and groups, yes, but I, I think the I hate to, I can't think of a better way to say it, but like the nature of the characters as typically not being of of higher station, mm-hmm. I think is meant to be you know a position from which to be satirical of higher political stations. I think there's an inherently sort of classist element mm-hmm. to to the picaresque. Um, which I mean, fortunately is, is grand fodder for role-playing games because we all, you know, love sticking it to the, uh, whatever the authority is. I mean, if the GM gives you the, gives their voice, they are meant to be disobeyed. So. <laughs> um, yeah, you actually, uh, yeah. Um, no, I think about, for example, mission or sort of like, again, as we mentioned, picaresque characters are often motivated to survive, you know, mm-hmm. like we have to go do this dangerous, you know, thing now so we can eat or, you right. know, so we can give it, so we have enough uh, uh, money to pay, you know, indulge in our vices, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so and in Redmarks, what is one of the most common type of uh, jobs out there is a closure job, which is 
patently absurd if you think about it. There are millions of zombies out there, and someone's paying you to get one specific one, often not for uh, practical reasons, but for entire they want them dead. But yeah, for emotional reasons, and like in in this kind of grim, dark world of scarcity and death, and like. Someone's indulging in this kind of behavior, like that's that's. But you know, who else would do that? But the rich, you know, like it's it's a way of them to show how rich they are by, mm-hmm. by saying, "Yes, I can f- afford to pay five murder hobos on the other side of the wall uh, to to shoot my grandmama uh, in the head uh, and then take video proof of it." You know, um, like at at the same time, I think part of the nature of this genre is to, you know, sort of play both sides against the middle because Mm. while definitely authority is painted as inherently ridiculous, like the main characters often end up at a disadvantage or, you know, sort of follow this really weird narrative arc of getting laid low in the beginning, spending the whole novel building themselves back up and then, you know, give into whatever their flaw is and find themselves back at a net zero position. Like it is critiquing both kind of over adherence to authority, but also, you know, yeah, they're blind individuality. to the same yeah, yeah. yeah, run amok. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, so yeah, even in Red Markets, like you, you risk your life again and again and again mm-hmm. for what reason? Oh, so you can retire and so you can work yourself to the bone on the other side of the fence. Yeah. Um, like, what was the point? Or like, you retire and you do, and then you do the Joel's thing and then you die. So you can be, you know, you'd rather die than, you know, horrible, horrifically violent death rather than be poor. Or if you succeed, then you've undoubtedly done these horrible things. And, and you get to live with yourself. And you get to live with yourself, but you have some scotch now, you know, and a nice house. Um, or maybe you've pissed so many people off, they come for you in the night, you know? <laughs> so, like, what? Yeah. Um, so that's certainly true, you know? Red markets. Escapism. Really? <laughs> um, well, the, the Wikipedia article does mention Shadowrun, as you yeah. mentioned. So, uh, and certainly the Shadowrun... Uh, template um i I think red markets is more picaresque than Shadowrun. um i mean i i feel like the reason they're bringing up shadow run is because it's you know mr johnson meets you in the bar with a briefcase mm -hmm. tells you go grab this hard drive off an armored truck yeah and then inevitably betrays you yeah (laughs) um you know i i kind of want to play a Shadowrun game where it's not an actual mission it's just like you all go out to the bar one night and then shit happens, you know, mistaken identity. Uh, there's a riot, a monster shows up, just, just things happen. And it's just surviving Saturday night, uh, you know, a night out on the town, uh, you know, in the, in the magical cyberpunk future of Seattle. Um, I feel like that would be really fun, you know, yeah. um, you know, uh, one of my, f- uh, a movie I saw, uh, last year that I really loved it. I mean, it came out a while ago, uh, bringing, bringing out the dead, is is kind of picaresque novel, and that's Nicolas Cage as a paramedic in New York City at night. Uh, it's directed by Martin Scorsese, and some of his other paramedics are like Ving Rhames and John Goodman. Uh, and so it's just a series of incidents that happens, you know. And All they, right. Yeah, no, and it's just like Martin Scorsese exploring the weirdness of late 90s uh, New York City. So you're saying it's a sequel to After Hours, the movie <laughs> I mentioned the last time I was here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, um, but I think, you know, when, you, when you're uh, uh, looking for satire, or to go back to our, our previous point, um, certainly in Bringing Out the Dead, you know, he meets all these ridiculous people, you mm-hmm. know, the junkie 
who keeps getting grabbed and you know, uh, uh, keeps being brought in for treatment and then keeps escaping because he wants to go get high again. And he's just this indestructible guy. Um, and you know, the person's like, I need water. Well, you can't have water cause you'll die if you have water. Cause the, the way you're fucked up right now. And you know, but he goes out and tries to get water, you know? And, um, and then of course the, the cops and the, the managers and the doctor, everyone is just either cynical, naive or insane. And, um, you know, that, that's kind of how the satire is being brought just through the role playing of the, of the mm-hmm. or the acting of the characters. Um, but in a game, yeah, you can bring out the satire, not just through missions, or through the factions or the characters, uh, but just that that sort of minor setting material, you know. Yeah. Um, I tell you what, though, you describing that makes me think of something. I have not read it. I just know that it exists. Mm-hmm. That there were a couple of like comic series runs that were Firefly, like tied in there, and and one of them was simply the one time a heist went right. <laughs> <laughs> and I think Mal especially just didn't know what to do with himself. <laughs> I like that. Uh, I like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you give the character. You know, that's another game for the picaresque thing. Like you always want to have contrast in, in right. games that creates conflict. Mm-hmm. And so like the unexpected success, you know, they win the lotto, the heist goes off. More uh, money. Yeah. More or problems. more money, more problems. Yeah. Um, so in red markets, I, I'm kind of tempted to have a game where the players just get like, you know, buckets of, um, bounty in one game. But the way the retirement mechanics work out is that you can't instantly retire. It takes time to set up your retirement plan. So the question is, what do they do while they're waiting to retire? And then the question is like, who's going to try and scam money off of them? Are they going to get bored? You know? You know, um, that could be kind of a fun uh, yeah. uh, mini campaign. I kind of want to run that now. Uh, hang out for that one. Yeah. I can't, it, like, you would need the right players for it. You need really active players. Because mm-hmm. if you had some players, you'd be like, all right, yeah, just wait. Uh, this guy's offering an investment. Nah, it's fine. You know, You're like, damn it. Come on. The adventure's this way. The narrative, please. Um, I think that's the other thing is if you're a player, uh, you kind of, it requires an active approach. Yeah. Like certainly Picaresque characters are very active. They're, right. they're, they're very much, they're always going against the grain. Mm-hmm. Um, so you wouldn't want somebody who's just sort of there, you know, taking up a, a, a space. Um, and certainly if you're a more passive player, uh, maybe that's fine if you if you're with if you can work a dynamic with another player because you know you often have these partnerships where there's like one schemer and then one you know muscle yeah the muscle yeah yeah so if one player is the muscle and the other play, and then you have a schemer that that could work pretty well mm-hmm. so um, I'm trying to think what else um, so I think the main thing is uh, the or the final point that I really want to get across is that. Picaresque novels again are about having fun because they're they're meant to be entertaining. Like, right? They're not, you know, they often examine society and human nature and all these weighty topics. Like certainly Huckleberry, Huckleberry Finn does, but it's yep. often it's satiric, it's comedic, mm-hmm. it's meant to be entertaining. Um, so in a role playing game, if you want to do, if you want to sort of incorporate some of this genre, is it's okay if you don't have a plot. It's mm-hmm. okay if the plot is rather minimal. Because uh, it's not about the plot. Like, don't get hung up if the players are one session behind from dropping the artifact into Mountain Doom. You know, like, mm-hmm. so what? You know, if they're having fun playing bouncer at a bar, 
for no reason. And they, they, they decided to just stash the evil artifact under the floorboards of the tavern. And they're like, I'm sure that'll sort itself out. <laughs> exactly. And like that you should, as a GM, you should be like, great. We can have so much fun with this, you know? Um, and just let them have fun playing bouncer and just keep throwing shit at them and see what happens. I mean, I don't know what, what kind of, um, if you're a GM, how would you encourage that kind of uh, behavior in players? Cause the thing is you don't want to penalize them. Like you don't want to be like, Oh, you it's the evil artifact possessed everyone. And now the town's full of zombies and you did it. You're bad, you know, or whatever. Cause that's obvious. You don't want to use the stick. You know, you want to, right. Well, I think the thing about especially and and to generalize generalize a little here, like if it's player characters that stuck the evil under artifact under the floorboards of the tavern that they're working in, they probably didn't do it subtly. Mm-hmm. So, like power attracts things. So, I mean, you could almost turn it into a, you know, monster of the week series mm-hmm. of, oh, well, okay, you decided not to do something about it. Well, here's the evil overlord from, you know, two countries over. It, well, I, I think it's important to remember the satiric thing. So, yeah, have an evil overlord, but make him satiric in some oh, way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, he's got to be uh, in- incompetent in some way. Or uh, maybe he's not even evil. Maybe he's a well-meaning overlord, and he's he's like, oh, I'll do it for you. I'll yeah. And then the player's like, no, 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 no. let us do it. You're like, well, you're right. You know. And so there's the adventure. There's mm-hmm. there's sort of the conflict. Um, but yeah. So like, yeah, have complications show up. But, yeah. Um, sorry. Anything else? Okay. I mean, that was the main. One. I, I was mostly just thinking about what you were saying about you know, as a player, if you're maybe not as active, I think a picaresque you know, game is a great place to try to stretch against that a little. I mean, mm-hmm. I know at times I've been maybe a, a less proactive player, but as we were working our way through, you know, base Raiders gate nine <laughs> sort of realized, especially with the number of people we had going that yeah. like making the right decision was rarely going to be an opportunity we had. So yeah. I just decided more often than not to do something, even if it was wrong. Yeah. I, I certainly like, yeah. And certainly gate nine would have some picaresque elements, certainly satiric, yeah. um, certainly sort of wandering, meandering mm-hmm. someone accused it of having no plot. Um, I think um, I, I, one of my, if I ever have time, if I, if I can finish ruin, I want to write a novel next and I, I'm tempted to write like a base writers picaresque novel. Yeah. Uh, maybe like I had an idea of like a human who like had been assigned a job to like protect some ideal base or like if the evil artifact at, starts glowing, push this button. And if you don't push that button, the world's going to end. And so the guy's just like devoted his whole life. He's fanatical about it. And then, you know, Ragnarok happens. He's like, oh, God, what do I do? Well, the base is still there. The button artifact's still there. The button's still there. I'll keep my vigil. I will stand guard until the And then like three weeks later, it glows. He pushes the button. The artifact is, you know, shot into space or whatever. And he's like, now what do I do with my life? Well, fuck. Like, no one's here to give me a reward. No one's here to say good job. No one's, yeah, just, well, fuck. That Dutrium Rod is still employee of the month. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Um, so, yeah, it's just like somebody who saves the world. No one knows it. And he has no, he now he has no idea what to do with his life. Um, and so maybe he goes to, maybe, you know, uh, tries to learn cooking, you know, uh, an alien cooking style and, you know, um, or something like that. I don't know. So, like, um, 
You know, yeah, again, food is a big thing about Picker-ass novels. Yeah. Is, uh, uh, that sort of uh, gustatorial, like, just getting food, finding it. It's a major preoccupation, mm-hmm. and certainly that's another source of inspiration. So, um, And hats. Hats? Really? Well, I mean, maybe that's dying earth rubbing off on yeah, me, yeah. but I feel like, you know, over-attachment to, like, fine clothing especially mm-hmm. as far like accessory clothing mm-hmm. um i mean you know that that could be a pretty fine like there's a rich vein to mine there in terms of like character motivations here given in scare quotes because man are they thin mm-hmm. but like yeah you know <laughs> i am obsessed with finding the best hat or the greatest shoes or i don't know um, well, no, I can I can see that. Like in Huckleberry Finn, there's sort of this uh, preoccupation, not just food, but like material culture. You yeah. know, like uh, smoking, you know, what kind of how much tobacco they have mm-hmm. and how good the tobacco is mm-hmm. and the whiskey and all yeah. that. Um, and certainly, uh, I can see that in other uh, novels, certainly in Felix and Gortrek, they talk a lot about the quality of the various alcohols they have. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing's as good as dwarf nail, but, you know, anything will do in a pinch, you know. Yeah. Um, and his clothing, you know, he goes from being a sewer watchman uh, to a bar bouncer. But then, like, he has to meet his brother is rich. Felix's brother is rich. So he has to meet him in a restaurant. So his brother's like, oh, here, come to my house. I'll give you clothes because you just came out of the sewer. Jesus Christ. You know, like, um, so that whole thing. Yeah. Um, and that helps him because a bad guy doesn't recognize him because he's literally dressed in nice clothes instead, <laughs> <laughs> instead of being there a dirty sewer watchman. Um, so... Yeah. Um, so the, these are just a lot of hodgepodge ideas. Uh, we're just sort of throwing out to get you thinking about the, mm-hmm. the um, just kind of dirty up and sort of meander in your RPGs. Like um, certainly for one shots, they're kind of by necessity, a little plot driven, but right. certainly for campaigns, there's nothing wrong with just like having a campaign focused on just surviving and having a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, depending on the game, uh, there's, there's a lot of different, uh, systems that would work for from D and D to unknown armies. Um, and yeah. So anyways, uh, when we get back, we'll have anecdotes and shadows. So unless you had anything else, uh, yeah. nope, all right, further. we'll be back in a second. And we're back. I don't even know what kind of music I'm going to put in there. It's something. It's Juice Wave. Uh, <laughs> that's disgusting. I don't know what Juice Wave is. I'll show you I later. I don't want to know. Um, uh, probably going to be lo-fi hip-hop. I've been listening to a lot of that lately. So. YouTube it. YouTube yeah. Juice Wave. Yes, YouTube Juice Wave. All right. Uh, that was my high school ska band name, believe it or not. Um, you weren't in high school when YouTube was around. How do you know? I could have I added two words together. You and Tube. You don't know. All right. I'm skeptical. <laughs> what? Uh, anyway, uh, for shout outs, uh, let's get started. Uh, first off is a uh, Patreon. Um, Bridget, who has run uh, great some great games for us on RPPR. Uh, definitely our Shadowrun games. Uh, she's run some Fate Core games. She's running magic, a Magical Fury mini campaign. Uh, nice. That we have one or two sessions left in. Uh, it's influenced by uh, Magical Girl Madoka. Uh, so, you know, happy if you're familiar with that anime. I'm uh, not. It's not happy. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, 
she has a Patreon now. Uh, Patreon.com slash Bridget fan. She is working on her own role playing game. Uh, cool. It's called Awesome Dungeons Done Quick. Uh, it's about speed running dungeons in a D&D or fantasy type world uh, and using various magical powers that mimic the abilities of glitches or exploits in speed running. So uh, it uses the Q system, which is the same system as Upwind. Uh, anyway, she has a podcast that she's going to do on the Patreon. Uh, she's also releasing PDFs of her mini games and, uh, yeah, she's just doing a lot of cool stuff. Uh, so you should check that out and back her if you want to. Um, and I will be guest starring on her podcast in, um, at some point in the near future. Uh, I will link to that in the next episode. So, uh, you, you had one. Ah, did I, uh, ah. Disaster. Yep. I know. Uh, <laughs> I look at my notes and I knock everything over. Anyways, uh, you had multiple ones. Uh, first was yeah, about, I did. Yeah. What? Oh, yeah. Okay. So um, I, I, at this point, like, especially with, you know, having a child and not getting to hang out with friends as much and stuff, I've almost taken to backing Kickstarters as a hobby because yeah. then I get things. And you do like, get things. Usually. <laughs> yeah. Not always. Yeah, well. Fuck you, Palladium. <laughs> okay. I didn't back it, but. They yeah. deserve a fuck you for that. Fair enough. Um, I tend to back more small press stuff. So like usually there's a, you know, PDF of the rules out there and it's just, Hey, yeah. let's defray the cost of printing your copy of this. Yeah, so yeah. I got a couple of those lately. I'm reading through them, hoping to run them sometime soon, but figured I'd give them a little signal boost. Um, and you know, if it sounds like the sort of thing you're into, you should go check them out. One of them is uh, Seco Creek vigilance committee, which is a hack of lady blackbird, um, that moves it to a Western setting. So basically the player characters are the posse that has just rounded up some bad dudes from a crime. I forget whether it was a murder, but it was probably a murder. Um, and they're sitting in the jail cell and the townsfolk are beginning to gather outside with the torches and the nooses and stuff. And the gameplay is basically all, what decision do you end up making as to whether to, you know, lynch these people who may or may not be guilty of the crime that they've, you know, been arrested for or actually hold out until the train leaves for the territorial capital tomorrow and they can be sent off to, you know, justice in that civilization sense of justice. Um, the other one I'll throw out right here, uh, unless you were going to say something else. Well, know. usually we alternate. You know. Oh, okay. See, that's I that's one, fair. Yeah, yeah. One, I, yeah. It's been a while. I forgot the format. <laughs> it, it's fine. Uh, my next shout out is actually the novel Skaven Slayer that what I've been done talking about. Uh, there you go. It's uh, Felix and Gortrak. It's part of their long standing series. Um, I, ch- I, 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 I haven't read that. I've, I'm, st- I'm still in demon slayer. So I don't know that much. I do know they're fucking the newest one is called fucking realm slayer. Apparently Gortrek <laughs> goes super Saiyan at some point and he's just blowing up universes at this point. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to like that. Cause I like the whole picaresque part, right? I don't know if he's going to be a bouncer when he's a God Slayer thing, but whatever. Um, so anyway, Skaven Slayer is fun. So read that. It's probably fun for a little while. after. Uh, that. I haven't even mentioned there's this whole thing where their, their adversary is this Skaven evil rat man. And he's this crazy wizard guy, uh, gray seer. And he, the, the Skaven are all these insanely paranoid, uh, narcissistic assholes who are, 
believe anything any any time something bad happens, it's someone else's fault. Uh, they they you know he's a drug addict. He's using this magical drug called Warpstone, just snorting it up like coke. Uh, he's quite amusing to watch it to to read about as a villain because you know his modus operandi is to throw all his minions at the thing and then run away when it doesn't work out. And it's it's quite entertaining. Uh, so anyway, sorry. Uh, so please go on with your second one. <laughs> Well, thank you. Uh, I'm sorry. I tried to break the format. (laughs) It's fine. All right. So uh, another one that I backed and got my copy of lately uh, is called By the Author of Lady Windermere's Fan. It is basically if you took a slightly more focused version of the plays, the thing that drills down to just the dramaturgy of Oscar Wilde. uh, So, you know, the importance of being earnest and the like. Um, and it extends the conceit maybe a little bit more than the plays the thing in that not only are you making up the, you know, funny twisted genre bending bits as you go along, you're actually just flat out making up the play as you go along. It is not just Oscar Wilde's plays. The, the conceit of the book is that, um, the conceit of the game rather is that basically, uh, somebody moved opening night up by six weeks on this play and no one has read a line of it, but it's an Oscar Wilde play. They're all the same. So you're making it up as you go along. Um, as soon, again, as soon as I've got it read and digested, I want to bring it to the group here and see if we can't do something. I mean, I sound, it sounds perfect for us. Like, <laughs> uh, I, that, yeah, it sounds amazing. So, um that's great um so it's your turn now yeah it is my turn right now geez uh so uh next up i would like to mention a movie i saw on netflix uh called the ritual um it's about a group a four british uh hikers well they're not really hikers but they're going on a hiking trip on along the king's trail in sweden and they take a sh- and one of them twists his ankle so they decide to take a shortcut through some forests through a forest uh, and it's a horror movie, so guess what? It's not a good idea. Um, <laughs> uh, definitely, it's it's sort of in the same genre as sort of The Descent. So if you like The Descent, you would like uh this. Uh, beautifully photographed. Um, and I don't want to spoil it, but there, mm, it's definitely relevant for people who are interested in Delta Green or Unknown Armies. Is there a ritual? There is a ritual. Okay. It's not just metaphorical. Um, so I, yeah, if you have a Netflix account and you like horror, you, there's no reason why you should not watch it. All right. So anyways, uh, yeah. Uh, so my others are also sort of loosely connected by a theme, but I will nonetheless alternate with Ross as is his won't. (laughs) Um, so recently I, uh, well, (laughs) now that we have a kid, uh, also, something else that I do. I've never been super great at like binge watching TV to begin with. I can't ever really Same. just settle into watching a lot of something at a time. Yeah. So I end up like, eh, don't want to watch altered carbon right now. Don't want to, I mean, it's a good show, but I maybe don't want to settle in for that. Yeah. So I end up way out there on the like right hand side of, of lists of things, looking for things that look interesting and maybe short. And I find some really weird stuff. For instance, uh, on Amazon Prime, there's a anime called Delinquent Hamsters that have like <laughs> two to three minute long episodes and are really, really basic animation. And it's three hamsters talking in squeaky hamster voices. And like, 
two males and a female and the males, one of them has a mohawk and the other has a like pompadour. Kind yeah, of? yeah. A pompadour, like ginormous biker gang pompadour. Like he's been <laughs> lifted right out of like an episode of Golgo 13 or something. Or Jojo's bizarre adventure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I, You'll take I word understand for it. that that is an anime. It is an anime. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. That that's all I've got all to right. say about all that. Right. There, there are hamsters; they are delinquent. And it, well, you found it amusing. I did. All right, uh, I do want, and that's on Amazon Prime. Yeah. All right. Uh, I have a TV show you might like, uh, especially if you want short things. Because I mean, each episode's about twenty minutes long, 20, okay. 24 minutes. Not bad. Um, it's on Netflix, and it's called Samurai Gourmet. And the premise of Samurai Gourmet is that this Japanese salaryman retires at age sixty. He doesn't know what to do with his life. And so like in episode one, he's like, what do I do with my life? I, I can't, don't go to work. I, well, oh, hey, here's an old, a diner that looks like an old diner, you know, like 1950 style diner. So I'll go in. And then he daydreams and he's like, oh, maybe I want a beard. No, I'm, uh, it's the day and there are other people around. They, what would they think of me? And then he daydreams about a Ronin who go, comes in and just like, oh, give me food and booze. He's like, yes, I will be like that guy, that guy I just imagined. I will drink during the daytime. And he's like, oh my god, this beer is delicious. This is great, and it's like it, it's a, also a food show. So like they show have these loving montages of the of the food on the walk, you know, being cooked and prepared lovingly, and uh, so it's just this incredibly wholesome thing about this very shy businessman. Uh, a salary man who's just like I can enjoy my retirement. Yay! And, uh, my favorite episode is the one where he goes to he he signs up to be an extra in a movie. You know, not 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 even just like walking in the background. And he's like, but you know, I I'm not paid very much, but I get a catered lunch, and he's just looking forward to the catered <laughs> lunch all day. And like that's the episode, and like it's just so nice. Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, I mean, I like inside exciting, dark and dramatic things, too, but it's nice to have something that's just like, ah, you know, and the food looks amazing. Like I get hungry watching every episode. It looks Japanese food is really good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways. So, yeah. All right. So another one I stumbled onto and I'm really late to the party on this, mm. but apparently like in 2012 or so back, I found this on Amazon prime, but like in 2012, back when they were making like video shorts, sure. Funny or die, uh, did a series of like six minute shorts on their 1986 television, uh, fall premiere lineup. And it's peak base Raiders. Like <laughs> every one of them is a character that I want to play in base Raiders. I'm sold. One's a detective show where John Hurley is a master of disguise. Uh, I don't know what else I really need to tell you about I'm, that. It's on Amazon Prime. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm. I'll watch it. Um, I'll 100 watch. Yeah, this. There, there's another one uh, where a cop slash uh, professional roller skater uh, gets his feet cut off, and he has one of the first pairs of roller blades <laughs> grafted onto his legs. Nice. Also, they shoot lasers. Oh my god. <laughs> This is so base Raiders. And another one that like, I wish I could just like tell you the name and mic drop, but I need to give you just a little bit of what <laughs> happened. It's called cop pewter. Mm -hmm. And it's about a cop who, you know, was shot during a drug bust and his consciousness like was copied onto five floppy disks. <laughs> And they put them all in a special drive that will run all five at the same time. And he is a cop on a trash 80. 
Nice. Uh, and now you can find them on Abandonware sites. Yep. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Uh, next couple are, um, you know, I did go to the Taiwan, uh, get to the Philippines and Taiwan. Uh, I also uh, spent the night in Hong Kong, but I was just at the hotel and yeah. back to the airport, so that doesn't really count. Um, anyways, uh, it was an amazing trip. I uh, saw a lot. Um, ate a lot of great food, uh, and I did one day of diving in the in. I went to Coron uh, in the Philippines, uh, sort of northern Philippines, and um, it's actually uh, the town of Coron is not on the island of Coron. It's on the island of Basunga. The island of Coron has Coron Lake, but nobody lives. Well, some people live there, but tourists don't live there. Anyway, it's complicated. Uh, but there's a, yeah, there's a lot of wrecked ships. Uh, in the area that you can dive in. So there's a lot of diving. It's one of the main attractions of the area. Uh, so we only did one day of diving, so we only swam two ships. One was a small boat. I can't remember the name of it. But the other one was the Morazon Maru, which is a Japanese... You can, it has a Wikipedia entry. It's like a you know a couple hundred feet long. It's a, It was a big ship, and um, it's a cargo ship uh, for the Japanese in World War II. And um, you they big hole in the side, easy to swim through, and you can swim through it uh dive through it and uh see the sleeping quarters the 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 bathroom and uh it's turned into a coral reef at this point so you can see all the fishies and the reefs uh the sea anemones and all that other great stuff uh so if you want to go on a diving trip in the philippines uh then you want to do some wreck diving that you don't need like um you can do it with basic open water diving like Mm -hmm. it's very shallow um i only have open water certification so it's not you don't need to be like a wreck diver. You don't need advanced open water or anything like that. Uh, you know, I hadn't dived in four years. And so we like did spent half an hour on refresher. Like, here's what you do to not die in case of an emergency. I'm like, that's useful to re- practice that a couple times. I mean, I didn't die, so it worked. Uh, <laughs> you can endorse the safety course. <laughs> I didn't die. Yeah, I didn't speed. die. Yeah. Uh, seal of approval. So uh, I used reggae diving, um, which is actually run by Germans. Is that when you uh, drop one? <laughs> no, no, no. It's just like one thing. Bob Marley is like the the singer of all these sort of resort towns. There's just like every other store is playing Bob Marley, not just here, but like in Peru and just everywhere. Uh, it's, it's a universal thing, but anyways, um, and I can recommend the beer there. San Miguel, San Miguel. Uh, it's normally a two out of five, but five out of five after you've been diving all day, like having that on the way back, it was just very refreshing. So, uh, that was, uh, so that's my, my next, uh, shout out is to, uh, the Marazun Maru and reggae diving. All right. So continuing in my theme, uh, also in the in the depths of Amazon Prime, is a uh, web series that Jenny Slate uh, from like, gosh, was on Parks and Rec and uh, oh, Obvious Child and um, let's see, also known for Marcel the Shell with shoes on, but um, she was the uh, main actress in on a web series series in 2014 called Catherine. It's 12 episodes, each one about two minutes long, and it is aggressively off-puttingly neutral. (laughs) Uh, Like, I I was certain that I was watching, like, somebody's horror web video YouTube series. Like, I was certain this thing was going to go, like, Alan Tutorial or This House Has People in it on me, but it didn't, and it's giving me feelings. 
<laughs> that's uh, that now i'm intrigued uh <laughs> is this also on amazon Prime or is this yeah. youtube oh, okay uh now yeah that sounds interesting it's uh, <laughs> you can't even describe it. Words fail. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Indescribable feelings. Yeah. Um, Soaring, uh, tumbling, freewheeling. <laughs> uh, next up, I would like to mention uh, in Taiwan, uh, we I've spent some time in Taipei uh, exploring. And tai- Taiwan one is a great place. Like, uh, it's got sort of the best of uh, Chinese and Japanese food uh, and culture, you know, like. Um, if you go there, don't rent a car because you'll, it's not for the, it's not for novice drivers. Like I'm, you'll die. Uh, well it's, it's, it's just, it, it, the people are very safe. It's just, there's so many scooters and light motorcycles driving around you that if you're not used and also very narrow streets, if you're not used to that, it's, it's, it would be very nerve wracking. Like my brother's used to it, so he could drive through it fine. But like, I would just like not be able to do that. Like, so you're saying it's like the tuk tuk scene from Ong Bak. Uh, a little bit like that. I mean, it's more orderly. It's more definitely cleaner than that, but like, um, it's definitely, uh, just take taxis. Like it's fine. Um, but I would like to say one of the places I went, uh, I think it's called Denwa Street. And it's just this street with a lot of stores of like, here's the, this street has all tea stores and it says bakeries. Uh, there was one street we went on that had uh, a store called Toad, which stands for Taiwan's own alcohol development. Uh, all right. Yeah. And it had, uh, they have a craft beer scene in Taiwan. Um, and then we, I tried a couple different beers there. One was called the Valencia ale, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and had like the alchemal, uh, an alchemist formula, the symbol on it, uh, on it. And it sort of, it was made with orange. It was, it was a good, mm. like, uh, they also had a Taiwan tea ale, uh, or was that, I had that at a different store, but anyways, it was, the tea ale is okay. I preferred the orange, uh, the Valencia, uh, or Valencia alchemist ale. That was the name of it. Um, it had a little motto on the back called uh, Starve the Ego, Feed the Soul. Was, uh, so anyways, uh, I like that. And uh, I picked up a bottle of Hometown Tea Liquor, which I, had, that I tried a sample of. It's kind of, it reminded me a little of soju or sake. It's kind of sort of a clear alcohol, mm-hmm. 28%, you know. Um, but they also not only had alcohol there, they had board games. So it's like, if I lived in Taipei, I would live at that store. Uh, <laughs> and they had a board game there that had in, not only instructions in Chinese, which, you know, I can't read, but instructions in English. So I which could read, read, which I can read, it turns out. Uh, and the board game is called Taiwan Monster Ball. So I bought that, brought it home. I haven't had a chance to play it yet because uh, I've been, you know, catching up with the podcasting and whatnot. Uh, but I'm definitely whenever we play it, I'm going to review it uh, on RPPR. But it's got beautiful artwork, uh, and it's about China, Taiwanese monsters from Taiwanese folklore beating the shit out of each other. Apparently, so um, what could go wrong? Uh, it could turn into a movie with The Rock. No, yeah, I mean it could. That happened to Rampage. It did happen to Rampage. I don't think it's going to happen here. If it, it does happen, it happened to Jumanji. It did happen to Jumanji. I don't think they started in Taiwan. Anyways, just saying, I'm just saying the Chinese market is not going to like things coming from Taiwan. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. So um, that's kind of complicated. We don't talk about that. Taiwan's not a country, um, technically. Uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, I liked it. It has like, it, it's on Board Game Geek, actually. It's got like a seven rating uh, overall. So uh, 7.7 or 7.1, something like that. Um, so pretty good. 
Pretty, right. Yeah. Uh, so that's my next shout out. Uh, do you have any more? I, I think that was all of mine. Okay. Uh, and that was the last one of mine. Hey, we, hey yeah, all right. Um, Good thing we alternated. Yeah. See, you see, that's why I do that, Bill. That That's why we have. We I, do I understand now. All right. I see uh, your ways. <laughs> so for uh, the anecdote, I'll mention what I did at the beginning of the game. Uh, talking, I ran Delta Green uh, for the first time since I got back uh, last week. And I'll, of course, post it on RPPR actual play. It's called Operation Forest Stowage. Uh, I ran this first for, I just, it's really hard coming up with mission names that sound interesting, but aren't spoilers. You know what I mean? Like, I was really proud of Granite Orion, because that sounds cool, but you have no idea what it means, what it signifies. I mean, it sounds like a porn star name, but. All right, that, okay, now I can't unthink that. Thanks, Bill. Uh, but, like, the problem with coming up with code names or military operation names is you don't want to have something that hints at what the mission is about. I'm pretty sure, like, there's a specific like, parameter there, that the military uses to generate operation They names. do, but they don't make it available online that I could find. All right. Um, you know, like Jade Helm. Like, you don't know what that's about, but that sounds interesting. What the fuck is Jade I mean, Helm? It also sounds phallic. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, but, anyways, for Stowage, it's on the Patreon. You can listen to the, how the patrons handled it the first time if you want to be spoiled on the plot. But, um, you know, the, the RPPR group, including Caleb, um, they, the, I, I changed a few things from the first time to the second time. Um, but it wound up that the players. Um, we're in Florida, central Florida, you know, very flat, very swampy. Uh, and they were at this warehouse and they were trying to meet up with another group of people. And they weren't sure if these people were friendly or not friendly. And so they're trying to work that out. And for reasons, Sean's character fails a sand check. Uh, and he's like, I'm running in the woods. I'm, r- I'm not in the woods. I'm running into the swamp. And I'm like, hey, you can just write my character out. And he's like, no, 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 Sean. We're not running. We're not. I'm not just you run off into the sunset. We're going to find out what happens to your character. Make a roll. All right. You make an alertness check. Oh, you failed. Oh, OK. Well, the gator bites. And yeah. So Sean's character would Sean try as a player is like, oh, yeah, you just ignore my character. He's not eh. he's like, no, don't challenge. And he basically he literally taunted me, challenged me to kill his character. So I was honor bound at that point yeah. to, uh, to, you know, I mean, I didn't fa- fake the role that created success on his, you know, the gator biting him, but well, you know, now Aaron's not alone. There you go. It, it, that's the important thing. So another RPPR player <laughs> chalk up a death to aquatic predation. Yes. Um, and, um, so that's something to look forward to. I mean, that's not even the biggest twist or anything. And that was at the very, very end. Um, and it's a Delta green game. So it's not really that much of a spoiler. Someone died in a Delta green game. <laughs> yeah. A player I'm died. Shocked. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, Bill, have you been playing any board games or anything lately that you've had time to? Not or, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's it for, uh, RPPR episode 152. Don't forget to check us out on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash RPPR. Please rate and review us on iTunes, uh, beyond pod or whatever. I, uh, podcasting software you do, uh, follow me on Twitter at Ross Payton. Uh, and, uh, be sure to check out Bridget, uh, patreon.com slash Bridget fan. Um, and most importantly, don't forget to check out Savage. Uh, let's see here. Tonkatsu. To, uh, tokatsu uh, 
which is uh, Kyle's uh, Kyle Cardi's uh, and other people. I mean, uh, I assume his cat uh, is working on it as well, and obviously Aaron's working on it. Uh, and I think Bridget's actually going to be doing some work for it too. So cool. um, it's RPPR adjacent. It's RPPR adjacent, and uh, if you play Savage Worlds, I mean, it's more stuff for Savage Worlds. So. Yay, Savage World! At stuff. least back at the PDF level. I mean, like, why not? So yeah, do it. Fucking do it. Uh, anyways, uh, please leave any comments on if you have any one thing you want to do address on this episode. And thanks for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Next time.